Good morning, Sovereign Grace. It's good to see you this morning. My name's Chad. I'm the senior pastor here. Probably say that in case you're a visitor so you know who I am. I'll give you a heads up. We'll be in Daniel 3 this morning. I am not preaching. This morning, I know we've been in a series in Genesis. I'll pick that back up next week in Genesis 1. But this morning, one of my friends in the ministry, Chris Gordon, who is the pastor of Escondido URC Church, is here preaching the word to us from Daniel 3. Chris and I have been friends for some time. Just so you know, there's a growing number of pastors across California who are attempting to be of mutual encouragement to one another as we pastor here, really focused on pointing one another, reminding one another that our job is to preach the law and the gospel. Our job isn't to go out and fix all the world's problems, but to preach the kingdom of Christ, to see people saved into Christ's kingdom, and to put their focus on him. It can be very easy to get caught up in the things that are happening in our world, to get our eyes set down here on what's going on in the USA, what's going on in California, what's going on in all around us, and to get our eyes off of Christ and his kingdom where it belongs as his church. And so Chris and myself and some other pastors have for some time been encouraging one another to put our eyes in the right place as ministers of the gospel. So it's always a privilege for me to have One of my friends who's a mutual encouragement come preach to us. And so, Chris, you can come up, and he'll be preaching from Daniel 3. So, thanks. It's uh, wonderful to be with you today and to lead you in God's Word. I'm uh, thankful for this church. I hear wonderful things about uh, the work that's happening here in Bakersfield. And, of course, I love your pastors, and Chad's been a great encouragement to me. We're both Valley boys. I grew up in the little town of Lemoore. And so I know this area, and I appreciate this area very much. Always a joy to come back and enjoy the fresh smells off the grapevine. (laughs) If you ever want to meet a group of Fabers, you should come to the Escondido URC. That's home base for all the Fabers, and you'll learn all about Jason and his family, and a dozen Fabers are there, and they all look the same. So you're welcome to come to Escondido. Well, I would like to encourage you today in God's Word, and so if you have the Word in front of you, I invite you to turn to the book of Daniel Daniel chapter 3, we're going to read the entirety of the chapter and this really exciting chapter with Nebuchadnezzar's image of gold. Daniel chapter 3, I'll begin at verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and language fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, 
At that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready... When you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I've made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered, said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, The flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? I answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors... And the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. And no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded 
up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their house is laid in ruins. For there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. And there we'll end the reading of God's word. Well, I thought I would spend some time with you this morning, grateful to the elders and pastors to invite me here to deliver God's word to you. I thought I'd spend some time this morning reflecting a little bit of the current challenges that we're facing in our time. I think you can see appropriately why that passage is important at a time like this. These old Bible stories that we passed right over and didn't think much about now are taking on a lot more meaning for us as the times change. I'm typically, like your pastor Chad, a big Bible book preacher. I think that's just the best way to preach, to be expositional in going through lecto continua books of the Bible. Topical preaching just doesn't have that power. And I'm so grateful to hear that your pastor is going through Genesis. That series, fundamentally, I've been through Genesis twice, preached through that twice. It fundamentally changed the church. It's just a foundation for everything in showing grace in the gospel and showing how these saints were tried and tested and saved by God's gracious covenant of grace and looking to Jesus. That's important. But today I'm going to be a little bit more topical than I'm comfortable with. And I'm going to really wrestle with some of the struggles that we're facing right now, living in the times that we live in. I have to say that ministry has changed so radically just in a few years. And it's difficult for pastors to work through all this because of all the division and all the fighting. And everyone's polarized on every single issue. It really doesn't matter what it is. Everyone's fighting and everyone's angry right now. I mean, I miss the days when people complained about the bulletins, you know. I miss the days when people complained about my tie or, you know, what I wore or the sound of the music. I'll take that all back. Now everyone's divided and fighting over everything. This is what we're dealing with. And you got to stop and you got to ask the fundamental question because we have enjoyed so much blessing of freedom. What in the world is happening right now? What are we going through? (laughs) What is this? This is a really important question because I'm not so convinced Christians have thought enough about this to answer this basic fundamental question. Because if you don't answer this question and you don't understand what's happening in the moment, if you don't have any sort of biblical categories to work with that, you're going to be fighting the wrong battles. You will be fighting the wrong battles. And that's what I want to consider with you right now. After this long period of peace and calm in a nation where we have been free to raise our children in freedom with our religion and to have it to be unhindered, I've never really been persecuted for my faith. I've never even had really to think about that too much in America as opposed to other nations where that just happened way over there. I'm realizing, and I think you're realizing, the holiday's over. The holiday is over in America for Christians. What in the world is going on? And how are we to process this? What is the answer? I'm going to make a few propositions here and to have you and try to help you in my short time with you today to think through spiritually with spiritual answers to these problems, to think more deeply about the spiritual aspects and dynamics of what's happening and to understand that there is something very demonic happening before us. We don't think enough about that or understand that or appreciate that. And this is what the whole book of Revelation is about. This is what Daniel is about, the demonic influence in kings and kingdoms. And hopefully to help you by the end of this to think a little bit about how to respond 
And as for what everyone says, we got to fight. How do we fight then? What does that look like? And what is God calling us to? And that's what I hope to do with you here in our time together. Well, what's happening? You're in the midst of a revolution. You come to grips with that yet? It's already happened. We're not waiting for it to happen. It's happened. We're already in the thick of it. We have the blessing in the Escondido URC to have Dr. Bob Godfrey in the church. Anyone know Robert Godfrey, Dr. Godfrey? He's president of Westminster Seminary. He's been teaching the adult Sunday school in the church for 40 years. And so it's quite an opportunity for our church and people come in. When I announce those things, I think the Sunday school fills up more than anything else. But Bob Godfrey has been such a blessing And he started a new series this year titled, What's Going On? Sex, Race, Politics, and Power. And he has made the correct assertion that what has happened in America is the end of Christendom. Not Christianity. Christendom. Christendom has ended in America. And that's an important distinction to think through a little bit. Christianity, of course, is our faith in Christ. It's faith according to the word of God. It's living according to that word and being formed to the image of Jesus and being Christ's followers in the world in a covenant community of people who are united together in true faith in the gospel. That's faith and nobody can put that out and they've never put it out throughout history. They never can. Under brutal regimes, under the worst of situations. Christendom is the enshrinement of Christianity to be the favored religion in, as Godfrey says, cultural influence and law. That's what we've enjoyed. The protections to be able to do this in complete freedom, to practice our faith in a protected religion in cultural influence and law. That's how it's been in the United States. Even though the Constitution allowed for the faiths to exercise that in freedom of religion, the favored religion in this country was Christianity. We know that. And it had cultural dominance in this country. And the amount of Christians that we had affected culture. We're now living in the times of David. Help for the godly man ceases. And now we've got to try to live through that. But this was so, says Godfrey, for many years. Not for the first century Christians. First century Christians were not protected. They were under heavy persecution by Rome. First century, second century Christians didn't have this protection. Third century didn't have this protection. The fourth century it changed. With Constantine. And in 325, we know around that time, he legalized Christianity. He made Christianity recognized in the empire, which was a big development. And there's arguments as to the good and bad of this. That's not what I'm getting into. In 380, Theodosius, says Godfrey, actually made Christianity the only religion in the empire. So there you have Christendom showing itself. And Godfrey makes the case all the way from 1700 years in the West. Christianity was the dominant religion in cultural influence and law. It withstood all these attacks all this time. And now he said that we've entered this time where Christendom has ended in America. This is a very interesting moment for us. How do we process that? We're now looking and going back to the first century to understand. And by the way, when you study the book of Acts, which I think you've done here, was it so discouraging for them? The church flourished under the greatest oppression. Godfrey makes the case that a specific event marked the end of Christendom in America. What do you think that is? I'll come back to that. But what I want to do now with you is think a little bit about what Christians are to do in times like this with specific text that I think answers this question, to spend a few moments in this particular text, and then to give you really good news, lest we fight the wrong battle, lest we think this is just about us saving Christendom. 
and keeping cultural law and influence. Is that our mission? A lot of Christians are very confused about this right now. We're not the first people to ever experience this, by the way. We think we're the first ones ever to go through something. And by the way, it's encouraging to know you're not. (laughs) And God's people have always gotten through whatever God has put them through. But I want to start today with a little story and to think about. Imagine this scenario with me, if you will, just for a moment. Imagine that China came and they overtook the United States and they said, all of you are getting on boats and you're coming over to China. And you are going to live under this communist regime. And you are going to be assimilated into our culture. And you are going to live under our laws. And you will all be taken by boat. And you're going to live there away from your country and your nation. Imagine this. And God says, you will go and you're not running away. That's the situation in front of you. You understand how devastating that would be for us? That's the situation. Their whole nation was plundered by Nebuchadnezzar. And he hauled them all off to Babylon, didn't he? And they dwelled in Babylon for 70 years. This is exactly what happened in this particular situation. And here we are. They're under their tenure in Babylon. Everything had gone well for a while, but actually things went too well. Babylon was rich. Babylon was prosperous. People made a lot of money. People lived really well in Babylon. And so they started assimilating into the culture. And they began to love Babylon. Free to practice their religion, of course, for a while. All until this particular king comes in. This wicked tyrant in Nebuchadnezzar, this arrogant, self-absorbed man, his policies were absolutely abusive and horrendous. I mean, how do you ever feel about a bad politician? Here's your worst politician. They sacrificed the infants to their gods. Their abortion policies were horrendous. We come to chapter 3 is a hugely significant moment in Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar erects this massive statue of gold. Pure gold. Its height was 60 cubits and its breast 6 cubits. 90 feet tall of pure gold. I mean, this is just something. He sets it in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He gathers together, notice, every authority structure in the land. All the authority structures, he brings them together. The satraps, the prefects, the governors. They all get behind this great edict that he gives. It was a big moment in the history of Babylon. And there's a great worship service. Notice this. This is worship at its best in Babylon. And the herald gets up. A preacher gets up. (laughs) And he starts preaching. And he says, listen, you will worship this golden image that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Oh, peoples. And notice, this is not just... In Babylon, he's commanding the world to do this. Oh, peoples, nations, languages, when you hear the sound of all these instruments, we are going to make this big moment of music and power in the land. And when they are commanded to do this, you all will get on your knees and you will bow down and worship this big image when Nebuchadnezzar was set up, probably of himself. And whoever does not, you will immediately go into a giant furnace of fire that's been prepared. Can you imagine the moment for Israel and Babylon? How do you think that night at their table they felt when they sat down to eat? What are we going to do? I have no idea. Well, we can't do that. I don't want to see my kids thrown in the furnace. You know where the image was set up? Plain of Dura. It's where the Tower of Babel was back in Genesis. Babylon has made itself great again. That tower was to reach up to the heavens. Remember the spirit? Come. 
We will make a name for ourselves in a united religious experiment that will bring us back to heaven from this curse that we're under. And God comes down and says, no, you won't. (sighs) To the ends of the earth you go. Nebuchadnezzar has brought back even something greater. You have to understand what precipitated this. Why did he do this? Because in the previous chapter, he was dreaming dreams. And in those dreams, none of the wise men could interpret the dreams except this really great leader in Babylon who was a Jew named Daniel. And Daniel comes in and says, I'll interpret your dream, O Nebuchadnezzar. And he interprets the dream. And if you look back in chapter 2, notice what it says about his kingdom. And in those days, verse 44, of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom, listen to this, that shall never be destroyed nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. What kingdom is that, beloved? It's the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus, isn't it? That you're members of. Nebuchadnezzar hears that, kind of seems to give a great response to Daniel, and basically says, heck no. The image goes up. My kingdom will stand forever. My kingdom will will stand forever. This is exactly what's happened here. So then you start to put this together with Babel. Here's what you need to understand. Nebuchadnezzar's response was a direct challenge to God who had just established the authority of his kingdom as in the eternal kingdom. And Nebuchadnezzar's response was actually a fearful power grab. You understand that? I will use all my power to stop this. Here's what you need to understand today. It's really important. (laughs) All nations, all kingdoms, all powers, all states run a cycle of time that they're in. And then they end. Not one nation has ever stood in the history of the world very long. About 200 some years. How long have we lasted? About 250. We're right on target. There have been some that have gone a lot longer, of course. But what you have to understand is that all nations run in a cycle of iniquity. When Abraham was promised the land, you'll get there in Genesis 15, and God comes to Abraham and God says, you need to be really patient before I give you the land, which we know Abraham understood, Hebrews, is a type of the eternal land to come, the land we're going to enjoy, the new heavens and the new earth. He said, you got to be patient. Why? Because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Now, what that means is, is that the nations have to run a cycle in iniquity so that God vindicates his righteous judgment on nations and kings and peoples. 2 Thessalonians 1 says, all this patience is vindicating a righteous judgment and saving you, delivering you out of this. Well, here's what can happen to nations and cities and states. This is Meredith Klein. Transformation of the city of man. There can be a radical transformation of the city of man into the temple of man, the God king. Earth's revolt against the creator. An idolization of power. Any of this sounding familiar? Full of corruption and violence. A regime that dehumanizes the mass of men and women by brutal oppression. A demonic ridden beast power that doubtlessly persecutes the peoples of the Most High. Perpetuating the enmity of the seed of the serpent against the seed of the woman. You understand why everyone's crying out about oppression right now? Because they've looked to a nation to save them, and that nation has not provided. And they're mad at systems, and they're mad at injustice, and everyone's looking for identity. (laughs) 
That's why we have all these movements right now. You know what's happening? As the state takes this course in evil, God starts hitting it. This is Revelation 8. When you pray to the Lord and your prayers go up as bowls of incense into the throne room of heaven, you know what he says he does? He throws fire back down on the earth in bowl judgment, in pandemics, in the sea becoming blood. He plagues. Haven't we learned this from Israel and Egypt that when he delivered them, he started plaguing? A little tiny virus, nothing that could touch the black plague. It didn't take much to show how weak our whole system is, how this is a house of cards. A little tiny virus has taken down economies. A little tiny virus has done a lot of damage. And everyone's power grabbing because nothing's going well in Babylon. What's going well right now? Why do you think that is? You're not understanding this. I'm not understanding this. Babylon's under judgment. And America is the greatest expression of Babylon on earth right now. Did you know that? You prayed against abortion for how many years? You don't think God's going to hit Babylon? You've prayed against things for years, injustice and oppression. You've prayed for things, true injustice. You've prayed against all this evil. You have children in the covenant of grace that you're concerned about. You don't think he's watching over you? God was about to deliver Israel out of Babylon and bring them back to the land. That's what's happening here. So what does Nebuchadnezzar do? He grasps for power, doesn't he? In every way that he can. My kingdom will be eternal. Babylon will be eternal. We will fix these problems. We will solve these problems. And here's how we're going to do it. We're going to erect a giant image and everyone's going to bow to it. Ian Duguid, one of my old professors, says every totalitarian regime throughout history has done this. I mean, if you're going to grasp for power, you're going to hit the cultural influence of society and you're going to hit law. They're going to change laws and times and seasons. That's what Daniel will say, right? This has always been throughout history. First century Christians were commanded to bow to Caesar as Lord. Why do you think the scriptures are coming on saying, no, Jesus is Lord of all the earth? Now, what happens in the story? Here's where it gets interesting. They come to Nebuchadnezzar, and they say, hey, these Jews aren't bowing down. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, didn't you command these guys in your kingdom to bow down? Listen, they don't even listen to you. They are not doing that. Nebuchadnezzar calls them in. Is this true? You're not bowing down to the image I've set up? You see, what is the potential? Let me come back to my original sort of thesis here for a minute. If Christendom has died in America, where out of its influence of cultural dominance and establishment in law that protects us, if that's been taken out of the way, what history proves, what this text proves, is that what happens is there is a replacement with another religion. There are spiritual forces of darkness in beast-ridden kingdoms of the earth. So Revelation's all about when the state becomes beastly. Again, government's good as God ordained it. But behind that is a working that's happening demonically that when they turn beastly, these things begin to happen. And what happens throughout history is it's replaced with another religion. And that will be demanded of your allegiance. And the pressure is immense. I think what we're not considering right now is that what is coming at us is fundamentally not just about politics. We're all wrong on this, and that's why our fight's all wrong. We've fallen into, you know, CNN and Fox News discussions. And none of those, Fox News, they don't teach us how to love. They teach us how to bite and devour. 
so we've fallen into the political divide and we're angry in the political divide. But we've missed the issue. We've missed the issue. What's the issue? A whole religious system's coming at us, being replaced right now in front of us. And you feel threatened and you feel panicked and you feel fear and you know you can't give your allegiance to this stuff. If you don't understand that, that this is another religion that you're being forced to bow down to, your fight will be all wrong. And you'll think, if I just run out to the sticks and get away from all of this, it'll go really well for me. Um, (laughs) This is an ideological image that you'll never get away from that's being set up. But what brought the end of Christendom, says Godfrey? Power grabs are everywhere. What brought the end of Christendom in America? He says, it was 2015 when there was the legalization of gay marriage. But it wasn't just that decision. In a cultural influence, in law, right there. It wasn't just the decision. It was that there was no outcry. Where were we? How could it get there that there was no outcry? Now listen to me. We fought a little bit about abortion. We rolled over on this 2015 decision. But boy, we have fought over masks. Talk about the devil sidetracking. Those are all symptoms, beloved, of power grabbing because a golden image has been set up that you will bow to. You realize that the new sexuality is the new religion? Look how fearful you all are to speak out against it. Look how it's invaded all your jobs and you have to now encode it into your laws and you have to bow to it and you better shut up. You're commanded to bow. And it's in your workplaces, and it's in your lives, and it's all around you. You can't get away from it. <laughs> you just can't get away from it. Going to South Dakota is where I want to go. I have a little dream. You know, I'm going to go and put a little shack up and have a little camper out there, and I'll just avoid all this. It's in me, but it's not what I'm called to. And they intimidate us, and they say, you will bow or else. Don't let them do that to you. You're servants of the Most High God. He bought you. Our king lives and reigns forever and ever. Who is Nebuchadnezzar? Who does he think he is? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you bow right now or you go in. What's the worst they could do to you? Kill you and you got to be with Jesus. A lot worse on them. Who did the fire come on? Fire was sent out of the furnace on them. Fear not him who can kill the body. Fear him who can kill the body and soul in hell, right? Be it known to you, O king. Listen to their confidence. I love this. Be it known to you, O king. We will not worship your gods or the worship of the golden image you set up. How alone they must have felt. What's the encouragement? Well, he gets angry, heats it up seven more times. He binds them up. And by the way, if you ever had this privilege to, when the apostles were beaten for the name of Jesus, they went out rejoicing that Jesus would count them worthy to be identified with him (laughs) that way. If you ever got this, it'd be the greatest privileged person in the world. You'd look like Jesus. He gets angry, heats it up. King Nebuchadnezzar is astonished as he throws him in and all of a sudden he peeks into the furnace. What's going on here? Hey, didn't we throw three of them in there? Yeah, we threw three in. Well, there's somebody else in there with them. I don't really know who that is, but it looks like one of the sons of the gods. You know who that is. It's Jesus. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's the covenant of grace you're about to go through in Genesis. And the text says what Jesus said. Not even one of their hairs was singed. Their clothes didn't smell. You know, this is a really good news for all of us. Not one of your heads, Heidelberg, one 
falls to the ground without the will of your Father in heaven. It's really encouraged for some of you because you're bald. All that was a choice. (laughs) Who's in there with him? Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you go through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame will never consume you. You and your children, you're not going to hell. Nothing can separate you from his love. Nothing they can do to you. So what's our response in times like this, beloved? Stand for the truth. Speak the truth. Don't let them put you off in a corner and shut you up. We do it in love and we do it kindly and we're not jerks. But we distinguish between the real issues. We use wisdom to know what the real issues are. That's what we need right now. We're fighting on the wrong issues. We're fighting with the symptoms. We're not getting to the heart of issues with this stuff. And our young people are confused right now. And we've got our children being bombarded with this new sexuality. Are you around the tables talking to them about that? That's where your fight starts. They're bombarded with this. We're all being hit with this. And the pressure is to take on a new identity on us and our children outside of Jesus. That's what's all this identity stuff right now is all about an identity that wants to claim your own identity in Jesus who's purchased you. He didn't go through this. He went through the excruciating death of the cross to lose you. He's fighting the battle for you. And Revelation's whole message is he's going to win. But it's not just a fight with earthly weapons. It's not just a fight to hold on to AR-15s and guns. Come on. Our weapon is not that. We tear down strongholds with the truth. Don't let them scare you. You're children of the Most High God. Well, it starts in our homes and it starts in the church with faithful pastors who minister the word and being committed there, holding fast to the truth, uncompromised. And notice the total confidence in the hearts of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Listen, you want to throw us in there, you can throw us in there. Our God will deliver us no matter what. Guess what happened? (laughs) Guess what happened? Well, some people debate me on this, but I think Nebuchadnezzar was converted. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, now listen to this, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel. He understood this and delivered his servants who trusted him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I make a new decree (laughs) in Babylon. Any people, nation, or language that speaks against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins. For there's no other God able to rescue this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Let me ask you a question today. What do you think of Nancy Pelosi? What do you think of Chuck Schumer? What do you think of Gavin Newsom? What do you think of Donald Trump? What do you think of Joe Biden? When I say those names, does anger fill your heart? Maybe through your standing for the truth and your love of the truth, one day you'll walk by like Jesus walking by that wretched tax collector Zacchaeus. And you'll say, would you like to come over and talk with me for a minute? And Zacchaeus will hear the truth and he'll repent. Instead of us falling into all this stuff, we well up with compassion realizing what they represent and what they're doing. And they'll repent. Maybe they'll close the abortion clinic. Maybe they'll say, I'm going to bow to Jesus today. You don't think God has the power to do that? Or do you? 
Pray for your leaders. Come to hear God's word. You're still here today. Right now, we have some threats of loss of tax-exempt status. We have a lot of uncomfortable things we have to face. But still, you're not being threatened to throw in the fire, are you? Maybe that'll come. Maybe it won't. That's in God's providence. We don't have to worry about that. We're not supposed to be anxious about tomorrow. But you can still come and hear God's word today. You can still come and worship Jesus today and bow at his feet because he's the king of kings and lord of lords and he reigns forever and ever. And his kingdom is breaking in and there is no end to that. He will bring an end to all these kingdoms. The word of God is never chained, beloved. So rest confident in that. And understand he's about ready to fix all this. You know what the resurrection's already all about? It's creating a brand new heavens and a brand new earth where righteousness shall dwell forever. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered in the heart of man the things that God's prepared for those who love him. You don't have no idea what's about to break in. So let's not be scared, children. Let's be bold with the truth. And in God's strength and grace, we'll go. And we will tell the truth to these people. And we will not run from them. And they will see our love. And by that love, all people will know that we are Jesus' disciples. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that is not chained and can't be chained. All these years, these things have happened, and people have tried to stamp out the faith, and here we still are worshiping the true King of kings and Lord of lords. Bless this church. Give them confidence in the gospel. Give them great joy in who they belong to, knowing that the hairs of their heads have been numbered and nothing falls to the ground apart from your perfect and complete will. Give us confidence to know how to conduct ourselves in these times that are confusing for people and to know that you are sovereign, that you are indeed seated on the throne and that our king reigns. Let people see our confidence and let people see our joy in Christ. And may this community, a big difference be made by the saints in this place as they testify to the truth as it is in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.